Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you could turn them to Luke chapter 9, and the, the uh, message outlines right back there at the center doors. If you pick one up, if you do not have one. We're going to be finishing our series today, Important Values. There are seven of them, including today. Uh, the first one was we are family. We are family. Uh, the second one is work hard and then rest. Uh, the third one was li we live to serve. The fourth one was radical compassion for people. The fifth one is we're going to multiply ourselves. Last week we talked about be generous. And now this week we're going to talk about live courageously for Jesus. Amen. We're supposed to live courageously for him. I came across the story from Paul Harvey. Many, how many of you remember Paul Harvey? Paul Harvey used to tell the rest of the story, right? The rest of the story. And he told this story about Ray Blankenship. Ray Blankenship, he lived in Ohio. And this guy living in Ohio, he was looking out his window and it rained now for several, several days. And his drainage ditch had filled up with water in front. It was all flooded. And then as he's looking out his window, he sees this girl that was out in the drainage just literally being swept away in the drainage ditch. So he runs out of his house. His heart is racing because he knows this drainage ditch runs down at the end of the road where it connects with the main sewage. And if she hits that, she's gone. So he's trying to run, trying to get ahead of this girl in that drainage ditch. He finally gets ahead of her. He jumps in the water after, grabs the girl, but because of the flooding, he's being swept away down the drainage ditch. And he's got the girl in his hands, but they're going head over heels in the drainage ditch. He's trying to grab the side of the ground, and he can't grab anything. He's holding on to the girl. Finally, he grabs hold of a boulder, and he's holding on this boulder with dear life, holding on to the girl, and the water is sweeping over his head. He doesn't know how much long he can hold, and finally, the fire department, EMS, finally comes, and they pull him and her to safety. But the amazing thing about the story is Paul Harvard said the rest of the story that we didn't know until after the fact that this man, Ray Blankenship, did not know how to swim. He did not know how to swim. So here you have this guy who is totally ill-equipped, who did this super extraordinary thing, right? He jumped in there, didn't even think about himself. And if we think about our own lives that we lived, that we think about the calling that God has given to each and every one of our lives, that we are called to live courageously for him. To live for the gospel, right? To share the gospel, be light in the world, be soft, be a reflection of Jesus. But oftentimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we think, man, I'm ill-equipped for this, right? You think that? You're like me, I'm, I'm ill-equipped for this. I mean, even when we read the word of God and we're singing some of these songs this morning, we look at these guys like Moses who confronted Pharaoh. Or, or we look at David going in front of Goliath. Or, or we look at uh, Joshua going into the promised land. Or we look at Paul as he confronted the religious leaders. All these guys are standing up. They're super courageous guys. Amen? Super courageous. We look at them. And we're thinking, man, that's not me. Man, I could not do that. I, I don't have the answers. I don't have the skill. I don't have the courage. And if I'm in something like that, I'm going to make a fool out of myself, right? Or make a fool out of God. We're going to do that. But there, there's the thing. When it comes to living courageously for God that we have to understand, it's not about focusing on ourselves, but it's focusing on Him, right? That's what matters. We focus upon Him. If we want to live courageously for God, it's not about ourselves. It can't be about ourselves because we won't do anything courageous. It's got to be about Him, and our eyes have got to be upon Him. The reason these men lived so courageously, it was not because how they viewed themselves. It's not because they thought they, were, they could do it. They knew they were ill-equipped. They knew that they didn't, they weren't up for the challenge. But they understood who God was, what made all the difference of the world. It was their view of God and who he was, and that's what we have to have. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, when David goes against Goliath, he says this. 
He said, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And, and you know, even the way we define courage as believers is different than the world. I looked up the Webster Dictionary, and it defined it like this. Courage is the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. If we had to define courage as believers, we would use that same definition. It's the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, withstand danger, fear, or difficulty in view of who God is, right? We've got to include God for us. That's where we overcome fear. It's through God. And so living courageously has everything to do with our understanding of God and our view of God and who he is. So this morning, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God is all-powerful? Do you truly believe that he's all-powerful? You say yes, okay. Do you believe that God can move mountains? Do you believe that, that through him we are more than conquerors this morning? Do you believe that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion? Because that's what Philippians 1, 6 says, that God will complete his work in you. If those things are true, we believe all those are true, right? Then living courageously for Jesus is really a no-brainer, right? It's really a no-brainer. We don't even have to think about it. Yes, I need to live courageously. So the real question becomes, really, what? how can I do that? How can I really live courageously for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That's the question you're asking, right? And I'm glad you're asking that question, because that's what we're going to talk about this morning, okay? That's what we're going to talk about. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9 verse 51. And if you have your outlines ready, living courageously for Jesus, the first thing we need to do, number one, a courageous disciple moves toward unavoidable adversity. Unavoidable adversity. Let's read verse 51. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I want to hone in on, on that idea or expression that Jesus resolutely set out. It can also be translated, maybe your hands, he set his face. He set his face. That was a common expression in, the, in, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, especially in, in Ezekiel, what God is telling his prophet. I want you to set your face. I want you to resolutely set out to what he said. So the basic meaning or understanding of that is it's having a fixed purpose or mission, especially in the prospect of danger or difficulty or adversity. So Jesus was setting his face toward Jerusalem. He was remotely set out. He was set out to do this, set out for Jerusalem is what it says, resolutely set out. And we know that he told his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be persecuted, and ultimately I'm going to give my life for you. So my question for you is, where has God called you to set your face as a believer in Jesus Christ? We know from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, the Bible says, therefore go make disciples of all nations. So that's where you and I are called to set our face, is in the world, is to make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do, that's our mission. Every one of us who knows Christ their Savior. Then we get to this awesome verse, our memory verse for this week, 2 Corinthians 5.20, where it says, we are, think about this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though, though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. What a powerful verse is what he's saying there. It says, as we give out the gospel, as we are the light, as we are the salt is what he's saying, God is in this world is making his appeal to the world through you. Think about that. God is making his appeal to the world through you as a believer in Jesus Christ. If that, if that isn't heavy, I don't know what is. That's like, what are you doing? You're going to make your appeal through me 
to the world is what God is doing. So you're the hands and feet of Jesus. When people are seeing you, you're supposed to represent, be a representative of Jesus. That's what we are. Represent Jesus wherever we go. How we talk, our actions, our motivations, the things we say, our, our thought, all, everything like that is supposed to be like that. And Jesus says, as we're going, we're going to face hardship. We're going to face uh, adversity. We're going to face persecution along the way. But I tell you this morning, any adversity that you and I face in this world pales in comparison to the lives that God is going to change, to the lives that God is going to transform in our lives, to the way that God wants to use you in his kingdom and his church, because God wants to move mountains in, in, through, in and through you. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God wants to move mountains through you? And, and he wants to do transform lives through you. He wants to do incredible things through you. And the only thing that's stopping him from doing it many times is you. You and I, we stand in the way because we're not willing to go. We're not willing to do it. We're not willing to do what God wants us to do. He wants us to do things. My question for you is where, where does God specifically called you to set your face, to be on mission for him? Maybe in your family, in your neighborhood, at your workplace. I remember a good friend many years, many, many years ago, he challenged me. He said, Doug, you know, you should be sharing Jesus with others. And I shared with him. I was not in full-time ministry. I wasn't working in any church. And he says, I told him, I said, you know, I, I do share it with my workplace, with people I know there, and seeing some people come to Christ. Because he says, well, I want to challenge you. He goes, I go to the local junior college, which was Joliet Junior College. I live down in that, that area. It's a very large junior college. He goes, I go down there, and he goes, I share uh, Jesus with the students down there all the time. Go down there and, and where they eat and stuff, where they lounge and where they hang out. He goes, I go share my faith. And his name was Frank. And he goes, I'd like to invite you to come with me and be my partner in this. And Frank was a very strong evangelist. I mean, his heart was evangelism. Very bold for Jesus. And I was intimidated. I, yeah, I, I guess I'll go, Frank. So he said, what we'll do, we'll, we'll meet together. And he says, we'll pray together, and then we'll go and we'll, we'll share with the students. So we met together, and we prayed, and we, we decided we came up, we would take a survey as we went in there, five basic questions we would ask. And sometimes they would change, like, uh, do you believe in the Bible? Do you believe in God? Who do you believe Jesus Christ was? How do you get to heaven? Just simple questions. And it opened up to us to share about Jesus, to talk about our faith with Jesus and things like that. So we went down there, and I'm watching Frank, and it was like natural for him. He's sharing with people, conversation one after another with people. And then he turned to me and says, now it's your turn, Doug. And I was there, and I was intimidated. I was not a pastor. I did not get in front of people and speak. I did not like to get in front of people and speak. My knees were shaking. And I'm going up there, and I'm taking this survey as I'm talking to this one gentleman, this young, young man, and that conversation turned over a half hour just talking with him about Jesus. It was incredible. I was like on a high after that. Like incredible what happened there. And it was incredible what, what was going on as we did that because that became a training ground to help other people share their faith. And what we found out just sharing there is we went into a group of people to share our faith with a the group. They would resist us. They would laugh at us. They would push us away. They would almost make fun of you. But we found out those same people, we found them one-on-one, -on -one, and we start talking to them about Jesus, asking them, taking the survey. They were very open. They were very interested in spiritual things, but they didn't, weren't interested when other people were around. They were kind of embarrassed by it. But personally, one-on-one, -on -one, they're very interested. People want to know about spiritual things, whether we realize or not. They're very interested in those things, and they're very, they're, they like to ask questions. They give their opinions and stuff like that. And, and out of that, many Bible studies were formed in that junior college there. And, and, I, and I look at this and I, I say, if God can use me, and believe me, I was not a pastor. Never thought about being a pastor. I was this timid young guy, 
did not like to talk in front of people, never wanted to be up in front of people. And you look at me now, I always say, God, I don't want to be in front of people. And I went there to share my faith. If God can use me, he can use you. He can't. I'm serious. He can use you. And all we have to do is sometimes just say, God, I, just use me. God wants to move mountains through you, believe it or not. He wants to move mountains. He wants to trans, transform lives in and through your life. He wants to do great things in and through you. Oftentimes, it's just a simple stepping out in faith. That's all we have to do. Sometimes it's just say, hey, if we're going out with a meal with someone as a coworker, or a friend or a neighbor or whatever, can I pray before the meal? Can I just pray before the meal with you? Can we just pray right here? Or, or maybe asking a neighbor over for dinner. Or maybe telling somebody what God is doing in your life. Just saying, this is what God is doing in my life. He's doing something in my life, and I just want to share it with you. Or maybe, get this, inviting them to come to church. Can you do that? Just inviting them to come to church. Can you come to church? Are we ill-equipped in of ourselves? Absolutely, we're all ill-equipped. But, but there's this your thing. We serve a mighty God. Amen? Can I get an amen? We serve a mighty God. And when it comes to living courageously, our focus always has to be on Him and not ourselves, right? It always has to be on God. Because living for God and, and being courageous for Him, it's a blessing. It's not a burden. We act like it's a burden in our life. Oh, no, i got to live courageously. It's a blessing to be God's ambassador, to go out and take this gospel message. It's a sacred message. It's the most privileged message that we get to take to others and share it with them. And God gives us to us and say, go share this. As we move on in the passage, we see here, number two, a courageous disciple always seeks to show compassion to people. Always seeks to show compassion. Verse 52 and 53. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Remember a few weeks ago, I told you, if I take my left hand, this is the land of Israel. Remember that? The land of Israel, this side would be the Mediterranean Sea. This side would be the desert, right? And in the land of Israel, it's kind of divided. The northern side would be the people of Galilee, would be Jews. The southern side would be uh, Jerusalem, Judah would be the southern side, would be Jews. And right here in the middle, between the north and the south, would be Samaria. Samaria is right between them. And in Samaria were Jews who lived there, who had intermarried with the invading Assyrians. Then Assyrians invaded northern Israel and conquered it. Centuries before this, they invaded them. So the Jews of the north and the Jews of the south looked at these Jews here in Samaria who intermarried with the Assyrians as kind of half-breeds. They looked at the land and the people of Samaria, uh, of Samaria as a polluted and defiled. They hated these people. They did not like them at all. The Jews of the north and Jews of the south did not like the Samaritans. On the flip side, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews to the north or Jews of the south either. So when the Samaritans see that Jesus is coming in and he's going to do kind of a layover or Passover, the Bible says they do not welcome him. Let me ask you, have you ever had someone call you on the phone and say, you know, uh, my plans have got delayed or my plans have changed. And I didn't have anything else to do, so I thought I would call you. <laughs> They've almost devalued the conversation. You say, what am I, chopped liver? Am I just your leftovers or what? That's the way the Samaritans are feeling right here. They're feeling kind of that. That Jesus is coming into their town, and he's just kind of doing a layover, just kind of a stopover. And so they're not going to welcome him. They're not going to receive him. Not at all. So fortunately... The disciples have been walking with Jesus for quite a while right now, and they realize that Jesus is one of love, he's one of grace, he's, he's one of mercy, and they realize they're always going to take the high road because they're, what's the most important thing that people come to know Jesus. 
So we want to show compassion to these people who don't know Jesus, to our outcasts, or to enemies. So let's see how the disciples respond in this occasion. In verse 54. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <laughs> and you look at this. So, so the Samaritans don't welcome Jesus. And here's these disciples who have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And their response is, let's incinerate them. Let's destroy them. Let's wipe them all out. After all they've been with Jesus. You think about this. Think, this is Christianity 101, right? If you want to reach people for Christ, you don't call down fire from heaven to destroy them. But that's their idea. That's their response. That's what they're going to do. But on the flip side, we know how they feel in many ways, don't we? We know how they feel. We, we think the same way. We think, these people, we're trying to, they're not going to change. They're never going to change. They don't deserve your love. They don't deserve your grace. They don't deserve your mercy. These people are stuck in their ways. And as I'm saying that, don't look at the person left or the right of you, okay? Don't look at them. Stay, look at me. But they're thinking the same thing. Don't look this way. They, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve your grace. They don't deserve you, Jesus. And so Jesus rebukes them for that. The reason he rebukes them, because a courageous disciple always seeks not to condemn, but a courageous disciple always seeks to show compassion. Compassion, they always do. And so our love, our forgiveness, our compassion for people always runs deeper than their sin, right? Always has to. Is that the way of the cross? Is it the message of the, the gospel? That at, at, while we're still sinners, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, even though we're sinners? Jesus died. That his love runs deeper than our sin, and his sacrifice on the cross runs deeper than our sin. I'm not saying it's going to be easy to show compassion to someone who's wronged you time and time again, especially someone who's hurt you so bad. But here's the thing. Here's the amazing thing. When we show love, grace, mercy, compassion, the same love and grace and mercy, compassion that we have received from Jesus, it's amazing how God could use it in incredible ways to change hearts. Not only theirs, but ours. And many times, that's what it is. It's changing our heart. That God needs to change our heart. And we're looking for opportunities to show that love, grace, and mercy, and compassion of God. And what we do, don't be surprised when people respond in a positive way. Sometimes we're surprised when people respond, when we've shown love and grace. When we've shown that true love, grace, mercy, and compassion to people, that people respond in a positive way. Because that's what they want. And that's what Jesus was all about, wasn't it? So today... Who might you need to show that love, grace, mercy, compassion to? Who has God placed on your heart right now? Maybe it's a spouse that, that needs to, you to truly forgive them. Maybe it's a son or a daughter or a parent that you need to reconcile with. Maybe it's an enemy that used to be a friend. Or maybe it's that person who's always left on the outside. They need to hear a compassionate word. They need a word of grace or a word of love that, that comes from you. Just to encourage them in some way. As we reflect on all that the Lord has done for us, and he's done so much, amen? He's done so much for us. It's amazing how we find the courage to make those calls, to write that email, to write that text message, to reach out to that person maybe who, who's wronged us. But it always has to go back to God. It always has to go back to our view of who God is and to understand the overflow of, of that is so people can see that in us, that we reflect in the, the light of Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do, right? As we move on in the passage, though, we see the importance, number three, we see facing adversity, showing compassion, but number three is really important. A courageous disciple always puts Jesus first. Always they put Jesus first, a courageous disciple. Through verse 57 through 62, 
we see three would-be disciples. Three would-be disciples. This first guy comes up to Jesus in verse 57. Said, Jesus said, I will follow you. This man says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds really good, right? says, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. But when you look at the context, you see this man is really talking about trying to find security, trying to find material blessing. And he's following this rabbi, Jesus, and Jesus responds to him in verse 58, and he says this, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, he's telling this God, I don't offer you earthly security and material blessing. Jesus saying, my way in the world is going to be a way of adversity and way of persecution. That Jesus' way in the world is not going to be easy. And if you walk with Christ at any time at all, you find out that walking with Jesus doesn't mean we're not going to have any of the same trials in our life that the world has had. We have the same ones, right? Same trials that the world has. We have them. The only difference, we have Jesus with us. It makes all the world a difference, right? We have Jesus with us. But we have something additional that they don't have. We have the persecution. To say today that I'm a Christ follower, people are going to ridicule you. We're going to say, oh, look at that person. Self-righteous person. They call us all kinds of names. To say I follow the word of God and believe in what God's word says, they're going to ridicule you. You follow that old book. To say that I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, whoa, you just start an argument, right, with everyone in the world. To say I believe that God made the male and female, you, what do you, the world's going to look at you kind of strange. They're going to call you out. They're going to call you haters of people and stuff like that. All kinds of names, right, today. So we're going to be persecuted. And that's what he said. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to go through all kinds of adversity for the things that we believe and stuff like that. The next uh, would-be disciple, verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, on the surface, if we're honest with ourselves, this seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? Seems like, what is he saying there? This man is asking, say, I want to go bury my father. And Jesus says, no, come and follow me. But you have to understand in that culture, in the first century Judaism, first century Judaism, they would have two burials. There was two burials. You would have the initial burial, and then you would have the final or the second burial. The initial burial, they would bury the person right away. They would embalm them put them in the ground, bury them right away. And then after a year or so, after the body decomposed, they would go back and get the bones and take the bones and put them in an ossuary or someplace like that for a final burial. So this man in this passage, he's not talking about the final burial. He's talking about the initial burial, the first burial. He's already buried his father. He's not out about talking to Jesus with his father when his father isn't buried because that body would be considered unclean. What he's talking about is that final burial. That second burial that's going to happen a year or so down the road from now when that body's decomposed. And so what Jesus is saying to this guy, we need to proclaim the kingdom of God now. We, not, for, not from a year from now is what he's saying. You understand what he's saying? It makes more sense, right? We need to proclaim it now. We can't wait for a year. There's too many lives at stake is what he's saying. So this guy, what he's really trying to do is fit Jesus in his schedule. Say, Lord, I want to I do my thing, and I'll come back after a while, and I'll do this. Then we get to this final guy who says to Jesus in verse 61. He says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. So Jesus' reply is really a warning to this guy. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In other words, those who turn back to the things of this world oftentimes are consumed with the things of this world 
And he's saying, and lose sight of their first priority. And he's warning them. If you turn back, go back to the things of this world, because that's what the man was talking about, you're going to lose uh, sight of your first priority. And if we sum up all these guys, what we find out, what they're trying to do is trying to fit Jesus in, or add Jesus into their lives. And the reality is, Jesus, Jesus is an additional to anything, right? You just can't fit Jesus in. That Jesus always has to be primary. He always has to be our first priority. Amen? It always has to be. Because if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all, right? Let me say that again. If Jesus isn't Lord over all, he's not Lord at all. He's got to be Lord of all in our life. He has to be. So a courageous disciple always, always puts Jesus first. He's always primary in, in our lives, right? He has to be. That's where he wants to be. He will not settle for second best. He will not settle for that. He wants to be primary. He will not let you be satisfied with just adding him to your life whenever he's convenient. He won't allow that. He wants to be primary always in his life. There was one man who made Jesus his first priority. There's many people that we could say. He lived a courageous life, probably better than most. It was a missionary named David Livingstone. I want to read. It's going to kind of be kind of long what I'm going to share with you about David Livingstone, but I want you to get the idea of what this, this man's life was. David Livingstone was born in Blantyre, Scotland in 1813. And David used to sit on his father's lap and, and hear stories of great missionary exploits. And David would say to his father, Daddy, when I grow up, I want to be a missionary. I want to share Jesus with other people. So young David, as he grew up, he, when he became a young man, he prayed this prayer to the Lord. And he said, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any ties, but the ties that bind me to your service and your heart. And the words came back to him, Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So David packed up his bags and he headed for Africa. And once he stand, stood on the land of Africa, he wrote in his journal these words that he penned. The haunting specter of the smoke of a thousand villages in the morning has burned within my heart. And that became his kind of theme, his life ever since then. That David Livingstone became an explorer in uh, Africa, winning from village to village and place to place putting the hearts of Jesus in people's hearts as he went by, reaching thousands, went in places that nobody else would go. People still go to his exploits because he opened up the journey to go through all through Africa and all kinds of places, exploring villages and all kinds of places that he went. Uh, first to go there. And David eventually, he married a woman by the name of Mary. They had kids, but they continued to minister there in Africa. But it's hard to keep up with the family there. So uh, some of his kids were getting sick, some were getting diseases, and even some were even dying. So him and, his, him and his wife talked, and she decided that she would go back home to Scotland, and he would join them later. But it wasn't until five years later, as David continued to minister in Africa, that he finally went home. And when he went home, his wife could hardly recognize him because the African sun had ravished his skin. As he was preaching one time, he walked into a branch, and he blinded one eye, and he scarred the other. There was another time a, a lion had grabbed onto him and mauled his shoulder, and somehow he miraculously, miraculously escaped. So when he got home, it, it said that he began to weep because he found out that his father had passed away and they had buried him before he got a chance to share with his father the exploits that he had. Because his father only heard them third-hand, and he wanted to share first-hand what Jesus was doing. After he'd been at home for a while, he probably sat down with his wife and says, Mary, the haunting specter of the smoke of a thousand villages in the morning is still burning within my heart. And she understood that. And they decided as they prayed together that David would go back to Africa while she stayed at home and raised the children so that he got older and then she would join him. 
And he went back to Africa, and he was ministering. But while he was there, he communicated with her. He wrote letters to her. So when the kids got older, she came to join him in Africa. But the moment she stepped on African soil, she got a disease that would eventually take her life. And David Livingstone knelt beside his wife's grave, and weeping his heart out, he prayed these words. My Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again consecrate my life to thee. I shall place no value on anything I possess or anything I may do except in relation to thy kingdom and thy service. And through it all, he heard the words again, Lord, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And David Livingstone continued to serve. His body was breaking down. He could hardly get around. He still continued to preach and explore and go places till finally he was on a stretcher. And he still preached from the stretcher. He's still on a stretcher, and he still preached the word of God and shared Jesus with others. And finally, he was so weak that they said, hey, we got to get him home. We got to get him back to bed in his home in Africa. And they was taken and ready to put him in bed. He says, don't put me on my knees. I need to pray to my Lord and Savior. So they put him on his knees, and they used to leave him because he used to be there for a while. And they left him, and after a while, they came back, and they touched his shoulder, and he fell over. He died praying to his Lord and Savior, serving him. This man lived courageously for Jesus. Maybe you say, wow, but he lost so much, but he lived courageously. Wouldn't you agree? The apostle Paul lived courageously for Jesus, did he not? Wrote 13 of the New Testament books. This man traveled in areas uh, that he was persecuted. He was stoned, left for dead, beaten, jailed, all kinds of things, beaten by so many people, ridiculed, sharing the gospel message, planting churches wherever he went is what he did. And we see, see all these things that happened, all, all these things that happened for them. And I know that God has not called you and I to go to Africa, maybe, or go to some other foreign country. But every one of us know Jesus Christ is our Savior. He called, he's called us to make Jesus our first priority, right? To make him first in our life. And all of us know Jesus Christ is our Savior. We're all called to live courageously. Not because of who we are, because of who God is. That's the mission he's given us. That you and I are called to live courageously for Jesus. It's not an option. We're called to live a courageous life for him. Whether in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, wherever we go, we're called to live courageously. Are we all equipped? Of course we are in and of ourselves. But we serve a mighty God, right? A God who wants to transform lives, who wants to move mountains, who takes dead people and makes them alive. Only God can do that. He has that kind of power, and he wants to do that. Remember, it's not about us. It's all about God, amen? It's about what he wants to do in our lives. So many times we look at us and say, I'm ill-equipped. I can't do that. I can't go here. I can't share with him. I can't live that life. It's not about you. It's about what God wants to do in and through you. It was about us. None of us could accomplish anything but what God wants to do. And that gives us the courage when we realize it's about God and it's not about us. Then we give God all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, all the fame, all the credit. He gets it all. Through our faithfulness, God gets all the glory. Amen? So let's live lives courageously for Jesus. That's what he's called us to do. But if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior yet, you can't live for him unless you know him. And the only way to know him is by faith in Jesus Christ. To understand that God loves you. He loves you so much. And he wants to have a relationship with everyone. He wants to have a relationship with you. See, because of your sin, it separates you from God. So God sent his son from heaven to this earth. And Jesus went to the cross. And God placed all of uh, your sins, my sins, the sins of the whole world upon Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's God's grace right there. He took our place. He was our substitute. He took your place on the cross. He died for your sin. That's God's grace. 
And now you and I are to respond to that grace by faith, by simply saying, God, I understand who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God, and that he died on the cross for my sins. And now I respond by, I accept what Jesus Christ did for me upon the cross, that he died on the cross for my sins. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I trust him as my Savior. If you've never done that, please do that today. If you have questions about that, please see me after the service. That's the most important thing. You cannot live courageously for Jesus until you know him, right? And the only way to know him is faith in Jesus Christ, right? So you have to know him. All of us, let's live courageously for God. Let's live courageously. Let's put him first. Let's not focus on ourselves. But let's realize God has us all here on mission. And our mission isn't to do our own thing. Our mission is for Christ. We're called to make disciples. We're called to reach as many as people we can for Christ. And sometimes we think it's every time I've got to share Jesus. I've got to share the full gospel. No, sometimes it's just being nice to a person. Doing something loving, kind, compassionate to someone else. Uh, opening up a door, praying before a meal, inviting someone over for dinner. Doing things like that. Inviting them to church. Those are the kind of things that open and plant seeds and open up the door for people to hear about Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. Just open the door and say, God, use me whatever way. You'll be surprised how God can use you. He wants to transform lives through you. He wants to move mountains through you. Do you believe that? Okay. Do you believe that? Amen. Believe that. God wants to. Only thing that's holding him back is us. We get in the way. We become the stumbling block because we make all kinds of excuses and we want to compromise. I can't because I got this. Or I can't because I got that. We make all our schedules so filled with all kinds of things that how can God enter those schedules, right? Because we got them filled with doing so many things that we think are busy, but we don't have no room really for God to work in our lives. So we got to re- need uh, give room for God to work, right? Opportunities. But he wants to move mountains. So let's live courageously for him. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We thank you. Because there is no one like you. There's no one who loves us like you do. There's no one that demonstrated the love like you do by coming here and dying on the cross for our sins. And Lord, we're so thankful. We're so thankful. There is no one like you. There's the love that you have. And now, Lord, you called us to tell others about this great love that you have, for this great forgiveness that you offer, for this great mercy and grace that you have for anyone who would come to you you say, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not an option, Lord. Maybe they will be if they sincerely understand who you are and what you did for them. So, Lord, help us to understand that. But how can people come to know you if they never heard about you? And that's what we're here for, now that we know Christ. Send us out as your privileged ambassadors. It's an honor to go out. Say, Lord, you're making your appeal through, to the world through us. So help us, Lord, to realize, Lord, we're your representatives on this earth. That's what you created us for, to represent you here on this earth as we go. We'll be the hands and feet of Jesus. We'll give the wisdom of Jesus. We'll share Christ with everywhere everywhere we go. That when people see us, they're better off for the visit. They're built up. They're encouraged. They're lifted up. Help us to be those kind of people. Lord, we're not perfect. We know that. In of ourselves, Lord, we can't do this. But our view and understanding of God, God can move mountains. And he will move mountains. God can transform lives. He can take people who are, who are hard-hearted and soften their heart. God can change people because he changed our lives. He transformed us. And he can do it with my life. He can do it with anyone's life. And so, Lord, we come on bended knee and say, God, use us. 
Use us for your glory. Use us as your ambassadors. Help us to put you first and help us to live a courageous life. So when we look back, we can talk about all the things that God has done in and through our lives and give him all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, all the recognition, all the fame goes to you, God. It's all for you. So God, use us. Use us in a mighty way. Continue to use us today, tomorrow, next week, next month, and the years to come, Lord. May we glorify you. May we live courageously for you, Jesus. And may we see your hand uh, work in us mighty as the mountains are moved and lives are transformed, Lord. All for your glory. All for your honor. Help us. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning who does not know Jesus Christ, their Savior. Lord, help them to realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior. That we all are. We all had to come to that moment where we accepted Christ. But they came and understand this morning who Jesus is and they put their faith and trust in Jesus. I pray that for every one of us. So Lord, help us to leave, leave here as believers in Christ, part of the family of God through faith in Christ. May we live, leave here as your ambassadors, living courageously for Jesus. Help us to do that. And Lord, as we sing this last song, we realize that our hope is based not on ourselves, not on our abilities or our capabilities, but upon our wonderful Savior, who is our living hope. We sing with all our hearts. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.